you know, we our enemy does not want people to be reconciled. Our enemy wants there to be strife and division, does not want people to hear each other, does not want people to share their pain. And, and when we start doing these things, it is an intense spiritual battle. Welcome to a One Life podcast. One Life, as you may or may not know, is a grassroots learning collective made up of equippers serving classes BC, Northwest, and Southeast in the Christian Reformed Church by providing events and resources centered around the five foundational callings of the church worship, faith formation, servant leadership, global mission, justice, and mercy. This week, I had a conversation with a panel of people who partner with Resonate for the Healing Hearts Transforming Nations workshop. It was an incredible conversation about how the power of the Holy Spirit can truly transform lives and hearts, which in turn leads to incredible fruit in many different countries and contexts for racial reconciliation. All four panelists come from completely different contexts, and it was a very rich and powerful time to hear how the gospel has transformed their lives and has started baby steps at transforming their nations. Here's my interview. I hope you enjoy it. So uh, welcome and welcome to our listeners um, once again to another episode of uh, the One Life podcast. I'm gathered here uh, this morning with Barbara, George, and Joseph, all ministering in different contexts, um, but all connected with um, a ministry called Healing Hearts, Transforming Nations. So we're going to hear from a little bit of each of you about how Healing Hearts Transforming Nations works in your context, uh, and also then uh, how it, uh, it it will play out in the Canadian context, which is my context. And so it will be uh, it will be a very rich conversation, I trust. And so I'll start with each of you. I would love to hear just a two minute uh, summary of your story. What led you to uh, to uh, what your connection is with the Christian Reformed Church and how you got connected to Healing Hearts Transforming Nations? I uh, will start with you, Barbara. Hi, um, thanks for having me today. Uh, my husband and I uh, live on Manitoulin Island uh, in Ontario, and we are uh, resonate partners. We work with uh, six Native uh, communities here on the island. Um, and so we've been here about 12 years now. And uh, just last year, I did uh, the Healing Hearts Transforming Nations workshop. And then later, I started uh, to be a facilitator for it. And so I'm fairly new to this uh, workshop process, um, Healing Hearts. But for up here in Canada and here on the island, um, there's so much hurt and brokenness, and I can see with having being a participate, uh, being a participant, and how it changed my life in my healing journey. Um, I know that it will help and be a step 
in in my friends' lives, in, in the people that we work with. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, George, how about you? Yeah, my name is George DeVeist. I'm a ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church and I've been a missionary with World Christian Reformed World Missions and that which became Resonate Global Mission in Ukraine uh, for over 25 years. And so um, I, I I became a, acquainted with HHTN, which is the abbreviation we use for Healing Arts Transforming Nations, um, through a series of events after Russia first invaded Ukraine in 2014. And we were working with pastors and trying to provide emotional care um, support for pastors who were burning out, dealing with the overflow of IDPs, orphans, and all the different things that were happening in the country because of Russia's invasion. And um, yeah, through through uh, a series of events that only God could bring together, I ran into uh, the founder of this ministry. Her name is Dr. Rhiannon Lloyd from Wales um, at a conference in Antalya, Turkey. <laughs> And she was given 45 minutes to present this ministry. And I, I thought reconciliation is what we need in in Ukraine. And um, through that, ended up uh, in the summer of 2015, traveling to Rwanda to attend the International School of Reconciliation to find out what this was all about. Uh, and that was an event that changed my life and it changed the whole direction of my ministry. And since then, we've been developing healing hearts transforming nations in the in ukraine especially but also in the post-soviet world um, and in europe uh, and so since 2016 i organized the annual eurasia school of reconciliation um, until covid came in 2020 and and had put a stop to it and then yeah since rush since the, that time as well um, I began speaking in churches in North America about HHTN and kept on getting hearing people say, oh, we need this here. And really, especially in 2020, with all of the racial controversy um, in, in the states and the, the controversies with uh, boarding schools and the indigenous peoples in Canada and these things just exploding in North America, it seemed that the that it was even more imperative to bring this ministry to North America. So we planned in 2021 to spend a year in, in the States and to introduce HHTN. And now this is a continuation of that. Um, we're not able to go back to Ukraine to continue working there. And so I continue to um, work with part of the global teaching team. Um, so I'm right now in, in Nairobi and we just had the East Africa School of Reconciliation which was an amazing event here, and um, and we continue to spread work with uh, around Europe, especially now focusing on Russian and Ukrainian uh, immigrants uh, that are that are and refugees that are in Europe, um, but also in North America, all over North America as well. Wow, thank thank you, um, Joseph. Tell me a little bit about your story and your connection to HHTN. Yeah, for me, it was uh, just after the genocide in uh, Rwanda, um, after a huge number of Tutsi have been killed. Uh, I went to Congo as a refugee where I spent two years and we had a lot of um, losses of lives also as refugees. Coming back to Rwanda, there was a big question. You know, my faith and uh, my Christian community and everyone was uh, at a very low point. 
And the question was to know how do we go from here? How do we come back, you know, as a society? Uh, where is the church into all this? How do we position ourselves as a church after such a failure? And so in the discouragement and the time of hopelessness, where all of us were trying to find, you know, where do we go and how do we rise? Now, I attended um, a workshop that was conducted by the founder, as George said, Dr. Rianun. And this is what I discovered. I found myself, uh, my, my own healing, because I was hurt uh, during the, you know, especially after the genocide. And then I started to realize how the Bible, you know, has some of these serious answers to real problems. Now, we use just uh, to think of the Bible as uh, you know, a book that is going to help us to go to heaven, you know, and to be just, you know, very spiritual and wait that Jesus come and, and take us to heaven. But uh, then I started to realize some of these serious questions most of, the, of us were asking had some of the answers through the teachings that were given in that workshop. And then from that time, I was trained to be a facilitator. Now for 27 years, I've been a, a trainer and uh, running these workshops. And my work has been mainly in Rwanda, bringing Tutsi and Hutu leaders, not only in churches, but also community leaders, bringing them together through this workshop and uh, saying God's doing amazing things in, with uh, perpetrators and victims. Then we went to prisons, we work with genocide survivors and all kinds of groups, youth in, uh, in schools. And even now, we are still very active in Rwanda, you know, working with the post-genocide generation. And still the trauma you know, is still there, and uh, there is so much uh, still to do. But in, uh, after some years, we discovered that uh, the, the healing uh, of wounds and, and reconciliation forgiveness was not only uh, a message for Rwanda after the genocide. Everyone agrees that you know, because of the genocide, it was a very serious you know, breach or uh, collapse of society and violence and cruelty that was very tangible. But we also invited in other countries when people heard of the testimonies and the things that were happening, we were invited into Congo and Burundi and other countries. And this is how we found ourselves into uh, all the, the countries around, around Rwanda, but also in other parts of Africa. Then uh, we realized it was not enough. And uh, we had now to create the School of Reconciliation, which is a kind of institution, and uh, organize a bit more discourse to see people coming from all over. So now we run um, a school every in Rwanda, an international school. And then uh, George came in 2015. And uh, as uh, most of the people who come to the school, they will go back to their communities, their context, and some of them will invite us and say, can you come and share some of the stories you know, of Rwanda, stories of forgiveness and healing? And this is how I find myself uh, in many countries, um, helping you know, people who have been in Rwanda and supporting what they are doing in other countries. Wow, thank you, Joseph, uh, for sharing. Um, Reggie, welcome to uh, our conversation. Um, we're just all sharing. Uh, a little bit about um, how, a little bit about our story, how we got connected with uh, the Christian Reformed Church, and 
particularly how we got connected with Healing Hearts Transforming Nations Ministry. I wondered if you'd like to jump in and uh, and share a bit of your story. Yeah, I, I grew up in Chicago and uh, came to Calvin Seminary, where the Lord kind of forced me into ministry. And uh, after that, about 22 years in uh, ministry uh, in Patterson, New Jersey, and then 20 years in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, at a, a CRC church. And I got connected to, to this as uh, I got into denominational ministry, and I was the director of race relations and social justice for, for about four years. And it was actually George who kind of introduced this to, to me and and uh, said, you should be a part of this. And I'm asking one more thing <laughs> that I have to be a part of. And, and he said, I said, okay. Uh, so I, I think I went for a kind of uh, opener uh, and a, a couple of years before that, and and then having the opportunity to go to Rwanda uh, almost a, a year ago, and it just really impressed me. Uh, not only being in Rwanda, but also hearing and watching the stories kind of unfold. Uh, how did this little country that's no bigger than Vermont happen to turn around? years and years of, of vengeance and and resentment uh, to almost being one of the safest uh, countries in Africa. So I, it, it really intrigued me. How did they do that? And how did that happen, given that Rwanda was, I think, 80% Christian? And, and so I thought that maybe that had something to say to North Americans about maybe we're going about how we're doing racial reconciliation in the wrong way. And and how do we bring uh, actual Christ and forgiveness uh, back into play uh, as we think about the North American context, uh, both United States and Canada? Wonderful. Thank you so much, Reggie. Um, so this is amazing for me to listen to all of the different stories and how um, the Lord's work through Healing Hearts, Transforming Nations um, has worked itself out in all of these different contexts. Um, jumping back to you again, Barbara, I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how this, this work uh, affects the Canadian um, scene and the Canadian uh, demographic and uh, situation. There's learning and healing to be had on both sides. And so... You know, the government has tried to put things in place and it just doesn't really stick. And First Nation feels like, oh, you're just making us do this. And, you know, it's a lot of struggle back and forth. But it's like it's a tough topic, tough situation. But when it's when it's centered through Christ and centered through um, which that alone brings up trauma uh, for our First Nation friends. Um, there is healing and there is um, steps to be taken on both sides. And I really like how uh, the workshop works through that and works through both sides to bring you to a table, to a conversation, one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And we know it's not going to happen overnight, but it's one conversation at a time, one individual at a time. And then they see the hope and the truth 
and the love and they want to spread that and they want to spread that kind of what Joseph was saying is like it goes out and then and then more and more people want to get invited and to hear to hear about this and so um we're having our first one in Ontario uh in September yeah I'm praying for good things and for for good healing that will come out of it thank you so much um George um I want you to pick up where Barbara left off and 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 sketch a little bit out of uh, of what some of the principles of this Healing Hearts Transforming Nations workshop are. Yeah, yeah, um, that's actually actually exactly what I was thinking about as Barbara was speaking. That yeah, uh, I think one of the I mean, there's several unique things um, I think about the Healing Hearts Transforming Nations process. Um, one is that it's extremely biblical and it's cross centered. Um, and also, I think one of the most important things is where we begin from, uh, because a lot of times when people think about reconciliation, they want to begin with blaming. They want to begin with identifying who did what to whom and who who's at fault. Um, and we lose sight of the big picture of what reconciliation really is all about. And so we begin with the, the Holy Trinity as the model for um, human relationships. And that model is a model of unity and diversity, where you have three different persons who are perfectly unified in every way. Um, and that relationship is what we believe God intended for all of us to share um, as different ethnic groups and racial groups. Because you know, no one ethnic or racial group would ever be capable of reflecting God's glory adequately in and of in, you know all by itself. So the image we use is one of a diamond, and how a diamond, as opposed to a plane of glass, you know, the diamond reflects light in in all the brilliance of its different colors. Um, and if we see that each facet of a diamond is like a different ethnic or racial group that's reflecting God's glory in its own particular way with its own ethnicity and culture and language and wisdom and all the different wonderful things that God put into that culture, um, we get a much bigger picture of what reconciliation is all about. Because reconciliation is about getting us back to that relationship that God intended for us to have as different peoples being like the Godhead, having unity and diversity uh, from the very beginning. So beginning on that foundation, then we start to look at what went wrong. We talk about prejudice and, and then how that can be redeemed, and how that's kind of the kingdom project um, of God's people. We talk about the holy nation from 1 Peter 2 verse 9 as where God wants to redeem our ethnicity, redeem our culture, redeem our identity. Um, and I think this is a critical issue for North America, because actually one of the things that we've been robbed of in North America is our identity it's our, and our ethnicity. You know, the, uh, I really believe the whole concept of a melting pot or salad bowl or whatever you want to call it is a lie, 
that doesn't happen by itself. But unfortunately, and this begins with white people, as white people, we have chosen to give up the identity that God created us with in exchange for the privilege that we get by being white. Um, but what we don't understand what a deal with the devil that is and how much we lose uh, in that transaction. Uh, and but also we don't understand the damage that that does to people to anyone who's not white. Um, but but also the damage it does to ourselves. And so for me, uh, part of my passion has been pleading with white males to engage in this process because it's the white male leadership that's the most difficult to to engage. Um, and as white men. We need to be able to take a deep look at um, our, ourselves and our identity and how our group has caused so much harm for others. Um, and we need to own that. Um, and we, But we also need to see how that's born out of our own pain, out of our own losses, and out of the lies that we've come to believe about ourselves and about others because of the losses that we've suffered. Um, and, and it's only through that process and and then also not only sharing our own pain, but hearing about the pain of others in that exchange that we really are able to move towards healing. Um, one of the most fundamental teachings in, in this whole process is from Isaiah 53. And it's the concept that Jesus doesn't just deal with the problem of sin on the cross, but he also deals with, with the problem of the consequences of sin on the cross. He doesn't just bear our sin, he also bears our pain. And so often in the church, we have failed to address the question of what to do with the pain that we bear as a consequence of our own sin and also as a consequence of the sins of others that have caused us to suffer. When we don't know where to bring that pain, we're left carrying it or we adopt the cliches of our culture. So me growing up Dutch, you know, when I went through this school, what I learned is I was carrying a whole lot of pain from my parents' uh, divorce when I was 14. Uh, and by the time I was 18, I was homeless. As my parents both got remarried and both moved away and I was left. In dealing, in working through that pain, and under, coming to understand these principles from this workshop, I came to see how important it is that we have to have a place to bring the pain. And what my culture, growing up in a Dutch subculture, told me, and this was literally said to me the summer you know, that my parents divorced, is you just need to work harder. As if working harder was somehow going to help you know but and we hear the cliches you know time heals all wounds and these different things that are you know the british stiff upper lip or what have you and they and they're lies they time doesn't heal anything in fact no unhealed wound all wounds are buried alive if we don't deal with them they don't just heal themselves um it's by understanding that the cross has the power to deal not just with sin but also with wounds that we can bring our pain to the cross to find healing. And from that place of healing, we get the power to forgive the people that caused our wounds. 
When we're still carrying the pain, it's so difficult to forgive the people that caused our pain. But when we can leave our pain on Jesus because he paid for it on the cross, so we don't have to carry it anymore, then freed of that burden, we can begin to forgive. And, and also find, for those of us who are perpetrators, we can also find the power to truly repent of what we've done uh, to cause pain to other people as well. And then we take that also, in a, not just individually, but communally. And what does it mean as a, as a group, which is, is extremely important in the whole reconciliation process, because so much of the wounds that have been caused have been caused not by me personally, but by my people. Um, and, and so owning and recognizing that and learning the specifics of it uh, actually allows me to help facilitate the healing of the people in the other group by asking for forgiveness in the name of my group and naming the things that we've done. You know, when people, when forgiveness and, and, and repentance are both flowing, that's when reconciliation happens. So reconciliation isn't something we talk much about. <laughs> it's the, it's the end result of the process when everything goes well, but, and, and it's really all a work of the Holy spirit ultimately. Wow. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for unpacking that powerful and yeah potent um um truths for our time uh joseph i i would be so curious um as someone who has worked with these principles as well for for uh a number of years in different contexts i would love to know uh, what your experience is with these principles um and seeing them in action what kind of fruit have you seen of, of applying these principles to your context yeah i think what George has been saying, uh, at the beginning, th this workshop was um, mainly focusing on ethnic, you know, wounding or places where ethnic conflict has, has happened. And then we had to revisit, um, you know, the, even the name of the, of the approach to healing hearts, transforming nations. I can legislatively say about the last, uh, a reconciliation event that we have had in, in Kenya. Now, when people attend the, the course, most of them have come to learn skills. And uh, they, they most of them are leaders. And then they will say, I want to know how to help my community, you know, deal with all the divisions and the pain and the hatred, you know, in, in, in my community. But uh, one of the things I have seen uh, is that most of the people in this, uh, these workshops, they have found themselves going through the process and realize they were the biggest beneficiary as a person. I remember one pastor who came, uh, he was doing his PhD, and he even confessed that he came to collect data for his uh, thesis. And then he said this, I realized I was admitted in a hospital after just you know, a few days of being in this process, I realized I was admitted in a hospital that I was really, myself, you know, really bleeding, but I didn't even realize. So uh, one of the, that's one of the, the things, people coming to learn skills, but finding the healing for themselves. Another thing that I've seen, there are many layers of, of pain that uh, not necessarily are, connected to the history of the country. So like for Rwanda, it was very obvious. The genocide has been 
extremely violent and in a period of time. But uh, for me, attending the workshop and many others, one of the things is that the pain that we we take from our family, and there's so much that has happened in the family, and many people have grown up extremely wounded by their family environment, conflict in their family, neglect, and sometimes even children of, of, of uh, church leaders or pastors, you know, just admitting, my parents ignored me. They were too much into church ministry and I felt like an orphan. And so all the pain and the cries, you know, coming to this workshop, I've seen many people getting healed from the pain from their own family. And there's a lot happening in life, in, in, in church. There are church splits and betrayal and difficult you know, things happening even within the church that has left so many people extremely wounded. I've also noticed, you know, like marriages that were breaking, being restored and people coming together, husband and wife, you know, to really um, admit that the marriage had almost collapsed. And so many things, you know, we've even seen some people are uh, getting healed physically. Like in the, in the last the, the, the last course, that uh, the event that we did, there was uh, someone, you know, she was really traumatized, you know, gone through quite a lot. All kind of abuses you can imagine. But this lady got really, she came with a huge amount of medication. She was, you know, in all these mental you know, um, hospitals and psychiatrists, and she has seen all kind of uh, uh, professional, you know, medical people. But then in the workshop, it was the first time she, um, yeah, she found so much healing that in a period of three days, she had to quit even the medication. We did not encourage her to do that, but she didn't need them anymore. She slept and slept. And some of the people are, you know, were really coming from a, a place where there's conflict even now in Kenya, where killings are happening. And they came to this place in a place of you know, despair, discouragement. And these are communities like the Pokot and Turkana. These people have been fighting forever. And uh, that even now, they are still, you know, hunting each other. They do what you call cattle wrestling. And uh, uh, people coming to this place really, you know, in total despair, not knowing what to do with their conflict in the communities, but coming out with so much hope and taking responsibility for the recovery that the healing, the reconciliation of the community, people who are not necessarily, uh, you know, people of influence, but just ordinary people going out and really with so much hope for their own community and willing to do and take risks, you know, to bring uh, peace into their own community. So we have seen a lot of things happening, but on a, on a different, on a different levels. And so sometimes our emphasis when we go to places, our preference is to go to places where divisions and tensions between the people who have been in that place, in the country, are quite um, substantial. But sometimes we have been also invited in places where we can say, you know, there's been peace. Like when the first time I was in Uganda, you know, we were in, we even, you know, almost 
did not go because we thought this country has been at peace, you know, for so many years. There's nothing, you know, why are we even going there? But in the same workshop with pastors, then some of the pastors started to talk about things that happened 30 or 40 years ago that they were still carrying, passing on to their children. And some of the pastors were quite shocked, looking at each other and say, is this what you have been carrying? And we have been serving together in ministry. And these are things that happened between the Ugandan from Rwandan origin and uh, the, the Baganda, the tribal Baganda people. And these are things that happened a long time ago. So this is what you say. We can't just, you know, say these are old things, you know. You know yeah. Let's just ignore them. I was invited to go to Wales to do these workshops in Wales. In Wales, you might, why Wales? Because 600 years ago, the English defeated the Wales, the Welsh, and ever since they've suppressed the Welsh language, suppressed the Welsh uh, uh, culture, and and it's and it continues to this day to divide the society. And and I was amazed at the um, 600 years of history of wounding going back and forth and uh and yeah it 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 doesn't heal itself just with time so often we we don't realize um and i would say even for white people in north america how much of our wounds are things that we've carried with us even potentially hundreds of years ago from europe um why did we leave uh, what what precipitated the immigration? Um, what were the issues, the wars, the the poverty, the the the, the things that caused the wounds? Um, you know, and the persecution. Uh, you know, and so you know, and you know, my context in Ukraine, it's things that go back uh, to the 1750s. Yeah. Uh, you know, that are causing the the situation today. Um, because they've never been addressed, never been healed. Um, and the church has never addressed these things. And I, I see so many similarities in North America where the churches are very quick to, we, we want to either isolate ourselves in our own cultural bubble um, and forget that there's anyone else out there, or we engage, um, we or we engage culture by, by claiming there is no culture if we're in Christ. We're all one in Christ, so we're all the same. And we try to ignore the whole culture and identity question, which is equally unhealthy. So there's so much work, I think, that we have to do as a church in North America addressing these these same issues that we see the church globally really far ahead of us um, addressing. Absolutely. I, I In all of these sharings, I'm hearing the connection between healing hearts and transforming nations. It, it's a that's an incredible, uh, it's a wonderful sounding title, and it sounds beautiful, but as we press into this, seeing the link between those two things is very powerful. So thank you uh, all so much for sharing, and yeah, particularly you, Joseph, with this, this um, those powerful stories of the Holy Spirit's active work in transforming hearts, which is leading to nation transformation. I love that. Um, but then picking up, George, on what you said just now and what you said earlier, uh, Reggie, I would love to hear you comment on the way this is playing itself out in North America, especially with George's comments about communal identity 
mm-hmm. um, how ethnic groups, particularly white people in America, have made a deal with the devil in taking on this mm-hmm. title white and and how communal repentance works. I, I would love to hear you unpack that in an American context. That would be really helpful for me. Yeah, it was uh, really kind of a new concept when you, when you kind of think about it, because we're always thinking about individual, uh, you know, confession and, and repentance, and we never, ever get around to, well, what does that mean for a people? What does that mean for a group? What does that mean for a country? And for the United States, we've never got around to that. We never got around to a communal apology for the indigenous people in, in, in the United States. We never got around that for uh, slavery. And in the United States, uh, Americans just have a really tough time saying these magical words, I am wrong, or I am sorry. We have a very tough time saying those words because uh, it brings on a, a tremendous amount of guilt, but also it brings on the burden of responsibility and, and possibly what does future repair look like? Uh, so when we started to kind of grapple with this concept uh, in the first one that I did, you know, this time doing the communal, you know, Joseph, uh, how he kind of unpacked that was really, really helpful in helping that this is a biblical concept and in that uh, prophets and, and leaders in the Bible have done this all the time, whether, whether that's Ezra or Nehemiah, they, they've all done it in which they said they had to repent for the sins of their people and before God. And so this is not a foreign concept or, you know, a part of being woke. It's, 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 it's how do you, how do you be godly? How, how, how do you follow Jesus and, and how do you follow him in the way in which it is, it is countercultural. And, and so I'm getting to it, to that sense of really introducing this concept uh, in the North and at least in the United States, who for a lot of people, uh, they 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 have a very tough time uh, wrapping their brains brains around that because uh, in most of our contexts, especially in Christian contexts, it all got weaponized, and and so it just became another weapon in which we beat people up with in order to continue the status quo of. I want to hang on to what it means to be white, and I want all the privileges and resources that go along with it. And 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 so that's why we we continue to kind of stall when there's been a George Floyd or or Rodney King. We just get stalled. And I think one of that concept of communal confession and, and apology really goes an awful long way. Uh, what George has said, you we need a place to bring our pain. Because usually in the, uh, in the in the American context, that pain got stuffed, or it got denied, or or we got gaslight. That that that's really not true. That's not really what's going on here. Or we saw it as you're trying to take something from me that is rightfully mine. And it's like, how do you tell a stolen people in a stolen land the stuff that yours? Because you stole it. <laughs> And and I love the concept that we talk about what the what the thief has taken away, which I think is a a fundamental concept that this is part of what the devil does. He he wants to create ways in which uh, we fight over and see everything as a zero sum game, but actually in actuality, 
he's the one who's stealing things from all of God's people, all of God's ethnic groups, all he's stealing identity. And 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 what we what I'm finding is how strong identity is in the American context. And people will will go against their best self-interest in order to stay in their group, in order to stay uh, accepted by their tribe. And and I love the concept uh, that when we get to the table, the king's table, and and I always kind of wondered who will be at the king's table? Who will God allow at the table? And and to have this wonderful... when I was in Wanda, just this wonderful buffet, and and George dressed up as a king, and I I that kind of I had to wrap my mind around that, and and <laughs> and uh, but I mean, but this it, it it became a celebration, a celebration of that we were all God's children, that we were all invited to the table, and and that we were given gifts. And that here is an opportunity to kind of share those gifts with, without the resentment and 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 really just that there's I'm losing something out of here. I, I think that's going to be a for me, it's it's a huge concept to bring uh this principle of communal repentance. Uh I think it's so critical. And especially how the mm-hmm. church uses and how the church brings that about, I, I think is one of the uh, I think unused gifts or unused tools that would help uh, tremendously if the church is willing to be courageous enough to embrace it. Thank you, Reggie. Yeah, this is beautiful, hopeful, and powerful stuff. Um, in a minute, I'm going to jump to you, Barbara, and have you kind of um, talk a little bit about the Canadian context, the conference that's coming up this weekend, um, especially in light of the Canadian National Gathering. But before we jump to that, I just would love to hear one more thing from you, George, <clears throat> about something you said about um, the white people have made a deal with the devil. So I had a friend when I was in America, speaking of the American context, but it applies to Canada too. But but Canada in Canada, we are a nation of immigrants and we're a lot closer to uh, the boat, as it were. I, I'm a second, a third generation uh, Dutch immigrant. But I had a good friend in America who said, when you when people criticize whiteness, I I, I have no other ethnicity to go back to. I, I, I'm a quarter Finnish. I'm a I'm a quarter. And he says, so it feels to me like they're criticizing me and who I am. And um, he just couldn't get over that. Um, But the way you spoke about it really seemed to speak a hopeful word for him and uh, people like me to say, no, this is something that can be repented of and even even, um, bring brought to the cross and reconciled. Could you unpack that for other white guys like myself? (laughs) Yeah, Um, as a white guy. (laughs) um, You know, I, I grew up mostly in the US. My mom's American. She was a, she was adopted by a Dutch CRC pastor um, back in their early 40s, and uh, my dad is a Dutch immigrant to Canada. Uh, came in 1954, uh, so I grew up with and and then in the 1970s we actually found my mom's birth mother, uh, a Texan um, who traces her lineage back to Colonel John Tipton, who was an English. Uh, uh, family that that first went to Jamaica and then from Jamaica to Maryland in the 1700s and uh, 
Colonel John Tipton fought in the Revolutionary War. And he is, um, and after the Revolutionary War, uh, went through the Cumberland Gap and was one of the very first people to settle in Tennessee. Uh, now, that's a story because Tennessee was the land that the British had given perpetually to the Cherokee. Um, after the Revolutionary War, the Americans no longer saw these British treaties as something they needed to honor. Of course, for the Cherokee, nothing had changed. Um, and all of a sudden, now they were being pushed off their land. The other thing I, I learned about Colonel John Tipton is that he was also a slave owner. Um, and, and that's a, a heritage that I discovered, you know, in my 40s, uh, much later in life. I had no idea. At our workshop that we did in Seattle, a Roman Catholic priest was there who was, whose last name was Tipton. He's African-American, and he's from East Tennessee, which is where the my Tipton ancestors were. It is highly likely that he is a descendant of the slaves that my ancestors owned. Uh, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? So it, it would be, it's easy for me to eat, claim a Dutch identity, a Dutch American, Dutch Canadian identity, um, because that's the subculture I grew up in. But I also have a very American identity um, from the history of my mom's birth family. How do you, how, what do you do with that? Uh, and, and that is the deal with the devil that I talk about because so much of what happened and we see it happen progressively throughout American history of how people exchanged their ethnic identity for an identity of whiteness. So the deal with the devil is how we whiteness this thing to be achieved so so many groups when they first immigrated to the u.s were not considered white like jews like italians um and eastern europeans um you know they and but over time often for in order to maintain the power of the white elites those other groups were assimilated in were given the opportunity to be called white um, in order to keep African Americans, Native Americans, Chinese, Asia, other Asian groups uh, out from being white, and and to divide the political power to maintain the white power, and and that is the deal with the devil. And so, so many of so many people in North America have this conflicted identity, which they inherited from their parents. Not even knowingly, it's not something they chose per se, um, but it's something that they have willingly, unwillingly taken the advantage of that's been offered them. Um, so it, it's extremely complicated, but it's very important that we understand what happened, how that happened, and the effect that it's had on others who are not white. Um, and and it's it's part of the history of the doctrine of discovery. It's part of the history of colonization. Um, and now there's also this interesting dynamic, like in my cult, in my cultural situation in Ukraine, it's white on white empire, you know, colonization. It's not always white on black. And a lot of the things we see happening in Ukrainian culture are very similar to the things we see happening in the colonized cultures of Africa um, because of the effects of white the white people that came and took over. And I've this is my fifth or sixth trip to Africa. And, and every single time I come here, 
um, when we stand in the gap, there are people that never in their lives thought that they would ever accept a white person because of all the pain that white people have caused for their people groups, their countries, um, and, and all that history. And it, 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 there's something about standing in the gap that can break that barrier. And, you know, even beyond it, we see that it has a, a there's a spiritual power at play in this. So even in this school now, I got a message from one of these leaders that were in the north where these two uh, warring groups, the Pocot and the Turkana are, and they said that there were two group of youth that met right after at the same time that our people were going through this workshop and, and they made peace. So there's something, you know, we believe that's happening in the spiritual realm as well. You know, we, our enemy does not want people to be reconciled. Our enemy wants there to be strife and division, does not want people to hear each other, does not want people to share their pain. And, and when we start doing these things, it is an intense spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. And there's pushback. Um, and, and, but we also see that where, where it goes forward, things begin to break. You have more stories, like in Congo and other places, where they've been, where um, warring, where wars have ended, because people went through this this three day, four day process, and it ended the war in an entire region. And even the land began to start healing. Animals began to start returning, who had fled because of the conflict. Um, things like that were were seen. It 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 is. We often don't realize. The spirit, how spiritually integrated all things are, but that is the fundamental idea of shalom, right? Peace with God, peace with each other, and peace with creation. And so, what I the thing that I just find so amazing in this ministry is that it is the most powerful tool that I have experienced that moves people toward shalom. In, in its fullness. Thank you uh, so much. Um, I wish we had all day. This is uh, uh, talking to you guys and, and girls um, is just, is just fills my heart up. And it's amazing to see the, how the spirit is moving in all these different contexts. Um, but last word to you, Barbara, I, I would love to hear a little bit about the kind of way that this ministry has already touched down at the Canadian National Gathering, um, the way reconciliation was a big topic there. And then tell me a little bit about this retreat that's coming up in just two days uh, on Bowen Island and what you, you hope to, to, to see there. Okay. So before I forget, Bowen Island is July 30th oh, to August okay. 3rd. Great. So <laughs> a month and two days. <laughs> Yes, yes, I am still in <laughs> Ontario. Thank My bad. you for the heart attack. Yeah, I, I apologize to everybody. <laughs> but that's great news too for our listeners because this podcast will come yes. out in more, than, in more than two days. So July 30th. So there's still be a time, yes. Wonderful. So, um, we'll sign up. Yes, <laughs> please sign up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, I just want to bring it back to the Canadian context. So Reggie mentioned it's hard for the US, the Americans to say, I'm sorry. Well, we in Canada say sorry way too much and there's never any action plan behind it. Mm. So 
standing in the gap, there is the action plan. And it's as you leave the workshop, you're continually doing that. You're continually walking with people, meeting up people on the street, and you're more careful of your words. And the I'm sorry doesn't just slip all out. It comes with meaning and purpose. That alone, like, that reaches people one-on-one on the streets exactly where they are at. Um, And so working through that myself, I had come through trauma. I had been in so much extreme pain. I, I had chronic pain for seven, eight years, couldn't get out of bed. But walking through this process... I didn't realize that the stress in my life was causing the pain. The trauma was causing the pain, which was causing the stress. And so the pain and the trauma of my friends um, in First Nation communities, I was given a glimpse of just like through my story. And, And so I know that if this workshop had changed my life so much, it will change theirs. And we haven't had a Canadian gathering yet uh, for Healing Hearts. Uh, We have two coming up. um, And so the process is just starting here in Canada. Um, So the first one is uh, Bowen Island, July 30th to August 3rd, Bowen Island at Rivendell. I've never been there. I've heard it's beautiful. Register, sign up. Um, And then the second one in Ontario, Fair Havens, September 5 to 9. Uh, and so we are just about to get that registration live. Look up more information and find that out. Oh, yes. As to the Canadian National Gathering, the whole, like we were from BC to PEI and we met in Ottawa and the whole weekend was reconciliation and what we can do to take that next step. And it's so good to see the CRC church stepping up and taking action um, in their communities and in their province and in their churches. So. Wonderful. This has been a joy and a pleasure. Um, it has definitely made me uh, interested. I'm already going to have to look at that weekend and, and see if what I can do. I have been to Rivendell before, so I can plug it as a beautiful spirit filled, uh, peaceful retreat center. And, uh, and it'll be the perfect context for doing this kind of work. I've actually been to Fair Havens as well, because I grew up in Ontario. So I can vouch for that one as well. Although that one, I was really young. That was some kind of high school uh, um, um, camp retreat, but also very beautiful. Um, and if people would like to sign up for the, um, the BC one, um, I can t- tell you where to go. That would be crconelife.ca. That's where you'll find the, uh, the details to sign up for the BC one. Uh, that's the one I'm on. And uh, the one that this podcast comes out of. So uh, plugs all around. (laughs) Um, Thank you all so much for your heartfelt, uh, warm, and um, spirit-filled testimonies. Uh, Barbara, George, Joseph, and Reggie, all in your own context. And there's this, it reminds me of that Trinitarian mystery that you mentioned right off off the top, George, with um, different persons. And yet the same united God uh, at work in all of these different places. And so, so thank you for that. Um, and for more information on, on this, just this process more generally, regardless of your context, you can go to, let's see here, um, hhtnglobal.org. Uh, that's the, that is the place to go to for more information on the Healing Hearts Transforming Nations. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart. 
yeah, I hope to meet all of you in person and talk to you guys again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you. On the show today, you heard a panel of four different, incredible, thoughtful voices with four very different contexts discussing the Healing Hearts Transforming Nations workshop. If you'd like to get a ticket to the Healing Hearts Transforming workshop right here in BC, it's happening at Rivendell on Bowen Island, and you can get your tickets at crconelife.ca. For all your other One Life needs, including events, links, and information, you can find them at crconelife.ca. And if you have any feedback at all, or want to get in touch, or if you know someone who would be a great guest for a future One Life podcast episode, please email me at podcast at crconelife.ca. Thanks for listening.